From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. College football entered a brave new world this week with the introduction of the early signing period, which gave us the feel of February in late December. It was an eventful signing day for many programs around the country, and that certainly included the Gators, who generated tons of excitement with a potential new quarterback for the future. This past week also saw volleyball come up just one win short of a national title and more opportunities for men's basketball to get back on the right track. And we've got all of those covered with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. We'll also chat with senior volleyball star Carly Snyder about her personal journey and the one her team just completed. But first, the early signing period had fans glued to Twitter from early in the morning throughout the afternoon, and they were rewarded with some intriguing gifts. To kick off this week's roundtable, we asked Scott Carter how the Gators adjusted to the first early signing day and some of the biggest names that lit up the fax machine. You're getting guys now who wanted to get their decisions out of the way. A lot of these guys will end up being early enrollees. Uh, others, you know, are still going to have to finish their high school and and then, uh, you know, come up to school in the summer. But they got this part out of the way. But you'll still have it's going to be an important to finish off the class, you know, for the traditional February signing day. But for Florida, uh, the big story, obviously, was uh, quarterback uh, Emory Jones out of LaGrange, Georgia, committing. Uh, he was the one big question mark they had. He held his uh, ceremony up in Atlanta, down basically between Florida, Florida State, and Ohio State. And this is a guy that Dan Mullen and his one of his new assistants here, Brian Johnson, who was his quarterback's coach at Mississippi State, they recruited uh, Emory Jones back when he was a freshman, sophomore in high school. They were the first to, to offer him a scholarship. And and boy, that relationship really paid off because, uh, you know, you had some movement at quarterback on the recruiting trail with the Gators, with Matt Corral decommitting. That opened a spot. They wanted to bring a quarterback in in their first class. And they've got a guy, classic dual threat, uh, kind of a proven winner. Uh, Mullen said he had that it factor. That's what really stuck out to them when they first saw him, um, you know, three years ago and made an offer to him. And uh, again, it's just, you know, you hear these coaches all the time talking about building relationships. And this is one that clearly paid off at a position that we all know Florida can use help at. Uh, it's going to be some serious competition, it sounds like, with Emory Jones being in that mix. And uh, But again, I think that, more than anything else, won the day for Florida because, as Mullen said, it not only does it set a good tone for the day, but it may make a difference going into February when some guys see that this guy committed to Florida, they like what's going on here, they see some momentum, maybe uh, it swings some guys their way in a couple of months. So you've got Jones now able to almost recruit through February in that part of National Sign Day, and he's got other members of his class he can use as well. So tell us about some of the other guys. Yeah, the quarterback's going to get all the publicity. We know that. That's the way this thing goes. But what about some of the other players that Florida signed on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, one guy they talked about is Damian Pierce, a uh, running back out of Bainbridge, Georgia. Uh, again, a guy who had a lot of offers, Alabama, Florida State, Miami, Georgia, Auburn. Here's how good this guy is. Uh, 
He broke Kersel's Walker's all-time prep rushing record into the state of Georgia. Huh. Uh, so you know he's putting up a lot of yards. He finished with almost 7,000 yards as a high schooler, uh, 92 touchdowns, really good running back. Jawan Sider, his direct quote, he's an SEC running back. Good luck on tackling this guy in the future. He's a, He comes in about six foot, 208 pounds. So, you know, he, he's big already for a high school player. I'm sure he'll add some more weight there. But they really like him. That's a position that Florida looks good at right now because he wasn't the only running back. They also added uh, Iverson Clement from Mount Holly, uh, New Jersey, uh, another guy that adds depth at position. And so, you know, we're talking there. You got Jones in the backfield, a quarterback, a couple of running backs. So offensively, I think they like some of the pieces they put into place. And up front, one guy they added was a, a junior college kid, Noah Banks, 6'7", 305 from Iowa Western College. He's actually from Pensacola, but John Hefsey, the offensive line coach, said he really wasn't in tune with recruiting coming out of high school, so he didn't get many offers. So he went started his football career at Murray State, thought it was kind of he was better than that, so he transferred to a Iowa school, a JUCO, to see if he could land a Division One scholarship. And sure enough, he ends up at Florida. Uh, like I said. I think he's a guy that will play right away or at least will be in the mix because he's coming in as a, a redshirt junior with two years of eligibility. Uh, defensively, Trey Dean, a safety from uh, Hampton, Georgia. John Huggins, another safety who played at uh, Daytona Beach Mainland. Um, they added a uh, depth back there. It's already a young secondary, uh, but they added some depth back there. Uh, to go along with that mix, and really that's a position group uh, that looks good. They also added Randy Russell, another defensive back out of Miami, Carroll City. Uh, so you're looking at some uh, help on the back end, and guess what, Adam? They added another David Reese. I saw exact, that, yeah. Exact same name, exact <laughs> same spelling, a little different position. Sounds like this one who's from Vero Beach. He's more of a defensive back, uh, so he may be a safety corner uh, nickel rover type player. But how about that? You're going to have two uh, two defensive Gators with the same exact name and spelling. I just hope they don't wear the same number, man. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be in real trouble then. But uh, seriously, uh, I mean, they got 14 players, uh, different spots. And, and one guy that's interesting, they added uh, a receiver from Ole Miss, you know, with the SCC rule allowing some Ole Miss players to uh, transfer to other programs and play right away but due to some of the sanctions uh, being imposed there van jefferson uh this is a guy who's played at Ole miss the last couple of years has more than 90 career catches i mean he automatically becomes florida's returning uh leading receiver next year in terms of just numbers uh so you add him to the mix there and uh it gives dan mullen a, a nice addition for his first florida team Another interesting note about the signing class, and, and this gets lost because these aren't usually the guys that have all the stars, but we know how much you need them in the moment, and that is a kicker. And we found out this week that Eddie Pinedo is leaving early to go to the NFL. We'll talk about that in a second, but as it pertains to the signing class, the number two kicker in the nation is joining Florida as well. Yeah, Evan McPherson out of Fort Payne, Alabama. Uh, that's a position of need, obviously. Uh, you know, with Eddie Pinedo uh, deciding to declare for the draft, uh, and Payne's got a big leg. I don't know if it's as big as Eddie's, but, uh, you know, this is a kid who comes in making a 60-yard field goal in high school, had an 84-yard punt. He was like one of those dual kicker punters uh, for Fort Payne High, kid that Mississippi State was on while Mullen was there. And obviously when he came here to become head coach, uh, I think they showed interest in him and, and McPherson decided to, 
he wanted to be a Gator. So an important pickup, certainly, because you're looking at a Florida team that's, you know, losing really two great uh, kicking specialists uh, over the last couple of years, and Johnny Townsend, the punter, and Eddie Panadio. As it pertains to the class going forward, you know, we talked about February. There's still more work to be done. I guess how much more will be done to this class? I mean, from where you sit right now in terms of what Florida has already in the clubhouse, so to speak, and what's still to come, how much bigger is this class going to get? Well, I mean, you could still add another 10 to 15 players, just depending on what kind of attrition you have before National Signing Day. You know, whenever these new coaches come in and take over program, there's always going to be some attrition. We've already saw it some with uh, Antonio Callaway, for instance, declaring for the draft. Khalif Jackson, a, a very seldom used tight end receiver the last few years, he, he said he's going to look to go to graduate school and try to play somewhere else. So you have some of that movement. Uh, you're going to have guys, for whatever reason, maybe uh, exit the program uh, between now and January when they come back for the spring. So there's, there's going to be some spots there. Um, there's definitely some more pieces they want to add to the puzzle because, I mean, recruiting is what it's all about. And whenever you're taking over a new program, I mean, they're coming off four and seven seasons. So I'm, no doubt he's wanting to roster manage that fits his style. He's also wanting to create some quality competition. And you got to believe that every job out there is almost open because uh, this is a team that didn't have a lot of success in 2017. He wants to bring young guys in, and he said in his press conference uh, on National Signing Day, hey, uh, I'm all about the best players playing. So uh, I think he's open to uh, challenging some guys and uh, getting as many high-quality players in here as he can because you know, it all goes back to that opening press conference, which when he was introduced last month, he, he wrote off you know the old quote you always hear coaches say, recruiting is the lifeblood of the program. But then he started naming off guys like how fun it is to call plays when you have a Tim Tebow, a Percy Harvin, a Lewis Murphy. I mean, these are some of the greatest players in school history. I think he knows that for Florida to get back where he wants to be, where he was hired to get it, you got to have those great players. So uh, he's going to recruit hard. You just mentioned a couple of the guys that Florida's going to have to replace, guys that are moving on to the next level. Uh, there's another a side story to that, which is disappointing, but kind of a reality of the game is guys who not only are not going to be playing for Florida anymore, but guys who are no longer going to be playing football. And we found out in the last week that's the case for both James Robinson, who did have eligibility left, and more recently for Jordan Sherritt, who was out of eligibility and obviously uh, is not going to be able to pursue football at, at the next level because of medical reasons. Yeah, you know, we'll start with Jordan Sherritt because you know he had a nice career here, Adam. And this is a guy that he had some NFL potential. I mean, he was playing at a high level mm-hmm. uh, when he got hurt against Texas A&M midseason, had a really bad hip injury, required surgery. And, you know, evidently from what he got in terms of medical reports back, it's a, it's an injury that you just – football is not something that you really want to do uh, long-term for your betterment of your future, basically. And Jordan's a, a very smart guy. I mean, he's already in the um, – the master's program for mm-hmm. international business. I uh, did a story on him over the summer about that. And, you know, he spent time in Germany last summer on an internship over there working with some of the big German companies. So he's going to do well regardless. But you, without question, he wanted to give the NFL a shot. And it's unfortunate that he's not going to get that chance. But I think long term, he'll be fine. 
you know, it's it's almost in a, a way it's it's a tougher situation for James Robinson, the receiver, because here's a guy that you may remember he was a highly sought after receiver last year, Ohio State. Florida was after him. They got him. He came, and within a couple weeks of being here, he was diagnosed with some kind of heart defect or heart condition that, you know, had been undetected as he was growing up. And so his his career was basically put on hold throughout the season. They flew him, I think, up to Pennsylvania or somewhere up north uh, to have medical experts, heart experts, take a look at the condition. And then they had tests here in Gainesville. And got a lot of different opinions, and it came back, you know, in the end that at least for UF, uh, they they've declared him medically uh, disqualified. They're not going to clear him to play football. So uh, just a, a really unfortunate break for James Robinson, and it'll be interesting to see if what his future holds if he stays here, and, you know, goes to school, or if he does try to get a second opinion and maybe go try and play somewhere else. You've seen it work both ways. But uh, he certainly had the talent to help Florida's offense. He's the kind of guy that can make a difference uh, offensively as a playmaker. Uh, but, again, it's, it's just not going to happen for him with the Gators. Yeah, every week we get to do an update on the coaching staff because it, it changes every single time that we that we have a chance to talk. And uh, the latest is some comings, some goings, and even some guys uh, flipping schools, I guess you'd say. Florida traded coaches with an SEC rival. Yeah, one of the unusual ones. Uh, you know, Chris Rump, defensive line coach, left to uh, go to Tennessee. And then late last week, uh, Charlton Warren, uh, a, a assistant with the Tennessee Volunteers last season, he comes down to the UF and looks like he's probably going to be defensive backs coach and uh, spend his first weekend on the job, obviously recruiting and trying to close some deals with uh, for National Signing Day. But an interesting background, he you know went to school at Air Force, started his coaching career, at Air Force to serve nine years uh, in the uh, Air Force Academy. Uh, just a very sharp guy. Uh, has coached at some big programs the last few years, you know, Nebraska, uh, North Carolina, and Tennessee. And now here, here he is at Florida. Uh, he's the most recent hire for Mullen's staff. There's still some positions that we're uncertain about. Uh, Mullen said on National Signing Day at his press conference that that's really going to be a fluid situation leading up till. The uh, February signing day, I mean, obviously he expects for everything to be in place by then. But I think just from the tone that he voiced, he sounds like he's just ready to you know, take a little break, uh, see his family, get back for the holidays, let, let the guys uh, kind of chill out because it's been a really uh, busy, uh, frenetic first three and a half weeks on the job with this early signing period. I think he'll uh, he'll look and analyze his uh, staff more and, and go from there on finalizing some of those hires. Chris, if we turn our attention to basketball, it was another tough setback against Clemson down in Sunrise. But then Florida rebounds. They get a home victory over James Madison on Wednesday. Take us through the last couple games and what stood out to you from both of them. Well, I think there were two uh, uh, pretty drastically different performances. Um, Florida went to the game in, in Sunrise, the Orange Bowl Classic against, against Clemson. And by all rights, that's a game they, they should have come away with a win, Adam. They were they're up by nine, I believe, with five minutes to go. Uh, hit one of the last ten shots. An absolute giveaway of a basketball game, and their mood afterward absolutely reflected that. I mean, that's a game that could catch up with them down the line. Now, you look at the record right now, Adam, in totality, 
teams that they've lost to heading into uh, at the start of the week were 45 and five. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's not that they'd lost to a bunch of like uh, nobodies. I mean, you're talking about losing, losing to Duke and you're losing to Clemson and you're losing to Florida state. And granted that the, the one that jumps out at you obviously is Loyola Chicago. I bring that up because that's the game. I think that was on a lot of people's minds a Wednesday night against James Madison. I mean, the, the Gators looked, they got out to a six, nothing lead. But they let him get back in the game. I agree, six nothing is not very much. But you thought they would the, that the start would have been a little better than that. You know, there's James Madison hanging around in the second half. Uh, Florida has a ten point lead, and suddenly it's a two point lead. It's a two point lead twice. Uh, it's a five point game with seven minutes to go, and it just looked a lot to me like that Clemson game in Sunrise uh, over the weekend, and yet. Uh, whereas Florida uh, missed nine of their last 10 shots against Clemson, they flipped the defense on James Madison and held, and James Madison missed eight of their last nine shots. Florida forced some turnovers down the stretch. They just seem more aggressive. And granted, when you look at the, the statistics and you see that um, you see James Madison score 22 points in the paint, there was some, there was some bad defensive possessions by the Gators, I'd say, for the first 30 minutes of the game really buckled down toward the end. And, and that's something that Mike White did take away from the game in his post-game press conference. He said more than any other game this year, he thought that they got in stances. He always talks about getting in a stance. That's playing defense. There's some straight line drives that never should have happened. Some wide open threes that the Dukes worked for or what have you. But when they needed to buckle down, they did. Now, granted, they didn't do it against uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels, but they did it in a game that they absolutely had to win at home. And it's funny, we're sitting here talking and lamenting, and people will be doing that about Florida losing to Loyola, Chicago. I just mentioned North Carolina. I was watching Wednesday night when Wofford went into Chapel Hill and beat North Carolina. So these kind of games happen this time of year. Yeah. The Gators are fortunate that they, it hasn't happened twice. You, you hope that maybe they learn their lesson from that. But um, they got one more of those games. Friday night they play Incarnate Word, and then they go home for break for four days. And then they got to be back the day after the night after the day after Christmas and start getting ready for the start of the Southeastern Conference season, December 30th at home against Vanderbilt, a team that they've lost to five straight times. Next up on Friday is Incarnate Word, and then it's a short break and the SEC hits, believe it or not. How ready is this team for that challenge? I would say they're not ready right now. I would say they got to get a lot more ready. So many people look back on the team, Adam, that came out of the PK-80 in Oregon having, you know, taken Duke to down to the wire, lost that game by three points, the way the way the game played out against Gonzaga. And people say, and I, and I was part of this too, what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened to that team? Well, you know what? They're kind of the same team because that team was awful on defense too. And this team has been awful on defense. If you think about it, they, did, they, they shot the hell out of the ball in Oregon. Other teams shot the hell out of the ball, too, including Gonzaga, which scored 105 points in that double overtime game. Florida just hit more shots than they did in double overtime. Right. So all Mike White's focusing on is how to get this team better on defense heading the Southeastern Conference season. I can tell you, being at practice, the uh, uptick in the intensity, especially from the coaches' side of things, was significant. I mean, what they do, they do in drills. I wrote about this on FloridaGators.com heading into the James Madison game. What they do in drills they play these uh, team drills, five whether it's three on three or five on five transition D. They're all played within time frames of five minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, what have you. And at the end of they're in teams, and the team that loses has to run a 22, which is down and back, down and back in 22 seconds. If they don't finish their time, then they'll have to run more at the end. 
Well, they said, you know what? Apparently, this isn't working. You lose, you had to do a 44. And I can tell you right now, <laughs> a down, back, down, back, down, back, down, back in a required time isn't a hell of a lot of fun after you just like killed yourself for eight very intense minutes in a rebounding drill. Hmm. So, uh, or transition defense drill, what have you. So, uh, the message was sent. It didn't particularly from the looks of things look like it hit home. And yet Mike white is the coach. He sees some better things that came out of that James Madison game. He's going to want to see some better things out of the incarnate war game, a team that Florida should be by 20 points. They were 20 point favorites against James Madison, one by nine. It was entirely too close for everyone's comfort that was in the building. But uh, uh, again, college of basketball is strange. I mean, you don't have to be the best team you can be in December. You don't have to be the best team you can be in January. And I can tell you right now, this Florida team could very well look a whole lot different in February if John Igbunu is back. We don't know how much he can play, uh, mm-hmm. but if he if he works his way back to where he can uh, you know, initially play 10 or 12 minutes a game – you know, by the end of February, Adam, that could be 17, 18 minutes a game. And now you're talking about a different animal because you're talking about an elite defensive center, a rim protector, a guy who plays ball screen defense. It totally changes how they do things. But right now they got the pieces they have. And for Florida to have some success in the Southeastern Conference, and I believe their second game is at Texas A&M, which is one of the best teams in the country with one of the best front lines in the country. They're going to have to start getting better play from Kayvon Allen, who took a few steps that way. He had 17 points. He was much more aggressive. Coming in the, in the James Madison game, Adam, he had three free throw attempts the previous three games combined. That's wow. ridiculous for a guy shooting 88% from the free throw line. He has to be aggressive. He has to attack. He has to see creases and go. He's got to embrace the concept of getting bumped around. And he just he, he's always kind of shied away from contact. And the coaches have said, drive the ball take the contact, make the free throws. Igor Kolachov is a guy we really, really gushed about him early in the season. I tell you what, the last seven games, he's 6 of 29 from three. Hmm. He started out as a 56% three-point shooter. So, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be somewhat of a transition once he gets in the SEC and he starts playing against these much bigger players than he's used to playing against in Rice and certainly bigger guys he's used to playing against James Madison and Incarnate Word. I'm not saying anything that these guys don't know. Kavarius Hayes is going to have to be better defensively. Um, against James Madison, he had two points and seven rebounds. You know, uh, the seven rebounds is good. Uh, uh, he had three block shots. He's hustling and everything. An ideal game, I think, for Kavaris is, is one of those, like, six point five six rebound games where he's, he's affecting things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we're used to seeing. And one of the reasons maybe he's, he's not – people say, what's wrong with Kavaris? He says he was much better last year when he stepped in for John. Well, he doesn't have Devin Robinson and Justin Leon you know, around him. He doesn't have Casey Hill out in the front to deter guys from driving to the basket. So this is not the same team as last year. It's the same team it was in Oregon. It's just their defensive efficiencies have been unmasked because teams know that they, if they get out on them on the perimeter and force them to drive, they're not great at taking the ball to the basket and not really willing at taking the ball to the basket right now. Uh, they have a terrific point guard, Chris Chioza, who was spectacular against James Madison, 19 points, seven assists, six rebounds, three steals, no turnovers. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's one of the five best point guards in the country right now. He played great defense against their leading scorer, held a 21-point score to 10. So uh, he's doing his part. There's a lot of guys on the team right now that have to step up and, uh, and start pitching in and give that guy some help. But, again, I can't stress this enough, and I know the coaches think this way. What, what you are now is not who you're going to be. 
So uh, let's get into the SEC season and see what happens. But uh, there's a lot of room to grow with this team, especially on the defensive end. I wanted to close the book on volleyball. We've talked a lot of volleyball through the last few weeks. Obviously, it captivated Gator Nation, their run all the way to the national championship match. They came up just a little bit short. But just talk about your experience covering them out in Kansas City and just what a run this team went on. Well, Adam, one of the things that you know I've come to like in my role here, I get to break away from some of the, the day-to-day grind of the big sports. And, and you get to pay attention to these other sports like volleyball. I'll be honest with you, I didn't think in my time a few years ago I'd probably be sitting in Kansas City, Missouri, covering the volleyball national championship. But you know what? It was a heck of an event. It was a great experience. Uh, there's 18,500 people there. About 18,400 were for Nebraska. <laughs> uh, Gators obviously advanced by beating Stanford in the Final Four. And it got them to their first national championship game since 2003. And the big storyline was obviously Mary Wise, the Gators' longtime head coach, chance for her to become the first female coach uh, in NCAA history to win a national title. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, you know, Nebraska was just clearly a better team that night. The Gators weren't at their best, but you got to give Nebraska a lot of credit. They were, they were digging a lot of balls and doing things defensively that deny Florida points on plays that. The Gators usually score, but it was a great run by that team. I mean, they finished 30 and two. They finished ranked second in the nation. You know, they won another SEC title, had a thrilling uh, five set win over USC to even advance out to the final four. And uh, my takeaway on it really, Adam, is besides, you know, there was disappointment that they didn't pull it off, obviously, but those are some great athletes. Uh, what they're able to do is uh, pretty impressive. So for those who maybe don't get into college volleyball during the year they had a chance to watch it on espn and espn2 the the final four and the national championship game all those were on national tv and uh you know gator fans as always rallied around it on social media there was a lot of buzz obviously uh, hoping the gators would uh win it but they didn't nebraska got the title but again uh great ride uh, a lot of respect for those players such as carly snyder and ramah al hassan and and Shanai Joseph, uh, the key senior trio that, you know, they would, they finished 110 and 17 over the last four years. Hmm. And very wise has a, a good program, a good roster coming back. Some, she resigned a number one ranked player in the country coming into next year's class. So, you know, don't be surprised if Florida makes another run next season. We know it's been a very busy time, more so than usual at the uh, late stage of December. So we hope that you guys both have a, a very nice vacation and will be ready to get back after it in January. A lot more to do in January, but for now, uh, happy holidays and, and try and relax a little bit, okay? All right, Adam. I appreciate that. Same to you, bud. Thanks, Adam. The NCAA tournament is a roller coaster in every sport, and the one thing they all have in common is only one team gets to go home completely satisfied. But what a ride it was for Mary Wise's team, becoming the first Florida squad to get all the way to the championship match since 2003. While credit for such an achievement goes all the way around, they did it largely on the strength of a dynamic senior class that will leave a lasting legacy. We spoke to one of the anchors of that group in Carly Snyder, and she began by telling us what it was like being part of such a magical run. I think in the days since the championship ended, I've just been so like having this feeling of gratitude and it's kind of hard to 
appreciate the magnitude of the event that you're at when you are there because it is so hopping from one place to another. And it honestly, for the most part, at times could feel like a normal road game, except when you get there and there's 18,500 people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's a little bit shocking. It was just such an amazing experience. And I am someone who's so passionate about the sport of volleyball and to see how far it's come um, and to be at the final four my senior year with my best friends was an experience that I definitely don't feel that I took for granted. I was so, there were so many times I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. And I could remember when I was younger uh, watching those players and thinking like they were the coolest people on earth or the mm-hmm. most amazing celebrities and kind of thinking like, oh my God, I will never be that good at volleyball, <laughs> you know? It just is so important to so many people and for the sport of volleyball, like for it to be on ESPN and for the amount of people who watch the game, uh, it does, it did sting like days after, like that really hurt to lose that match. I know that we wanted to win that match more than anything, but in general for what I'm passionate about to represent our team there and to, for women to have Mary there and to see like all the strong female athletes on all four teams representing their schools with such class. I think that was so huge for the sport of volleyball and was something that was really special for me to be a part of. I'm not sure how much you thought about the actual nuts and bolts of the match itself, but looking back at it, what do you think were the keys? What allowed Nebraska to win that match and keep you guys one step short of that ultimate goal? They are a fantastic team, first and foremost. So they had a strategy going in, and uh, when a team can execute at that level um, with all the pressure on the line. It's really, it is very impressive to me. So I think they came in and played really loose right away. We probably were a little bit tight. I mean, no one's played in front of that many people. That was crazy. I think I got blocked on the third point of the game or something like that. And I just was like, I've never heard this many people cheering against me. <laughs> that was kind of um, a surreal moment. I was like, wow, that was crazy. Not necessarily getting blocked. I mean, I've gotten blocked a million times, right. but the reaction to that, uh, it was it was crazy. So I think as well, they won the serve pass game, but when we did start to pass better, they did other things to disrupt what we were doing. So offensively, they um, did a pretty good job keeping people like, to their limited amount of kills. Um, mm-hmm. We got a few here and there, but they did a really good job of not letting anything hit the floor unless it was a great shot by us. Um, unfortunately, they had more of those than we did. You know, you talked about being part of something like that and, and what it means to, for the sport of volleyball, but even more yeah. than that, for the Gators. I mean, can you just talk about what it meant to you guys to be at the center of the Gator universe, to have people, football players, fans who've never watched volleyball before, you know, sitting down on a Saturday night and, and tuning in to watch you guys play, just what it meant to have volleyball be at the center of that Gator universe for about a, a week? I cannot even say how much that meant to us and our team. And I speak for everyone when I say that. It was an incredible experience. And for the last four years and for the rest of my life, I will always say Gator Nation is the most supportive fan base, is the best fans to play in front of and the most loyal fans. And just to feel that from them during that week, but all season long, I think that we had some very, very supportive fans and it was so much fun getting to play in the out home in front of Gator Nation. Um, That was one of the coolest things, but this last week specifically, 
it was so amazing the support that we received. There was like messages on my Instagram blowing up and mm. we met people in Kansas City who drove 18 hours. I met wow. someone who drove from Fort Lauderdale and said, I've been waiting to watch Gator Volleyball on the Final Four. Like I've been a Gator Volleyball fan my entire life and I drove with my daughter up here. And that was one of the coolest things are seeing a kid from camp who came to the game and was like, we had to go. This is my Christmas present. Hmm. I thought... That was one of the coolest things to see that the impact we made on someone back in July during camp or just the first weekend, the heart that we showed on the court that made people truly followers of Florida volleyball and, you know, real fans of Florida volleyball. I think that that showed in the last week of season when so many people watched the game and so many people reached out to us to say how proud they were of us. And um, we had these campers who like really do mean the world to us and we really love getting to do that and to for them to remember us coaching them it's not necessarily to say that like we wouldn't know the difference we make if we weren't in the final four but being there and seeing how proud um these kids were just have any association with the players was so cool well, and you had quite a journey to get to Florida as well, coming a long way from Michigan. Can you mm-hmm. talk about what made you want to come to Florida growing up so far away? I was someone who really loved getting a different experience. And I think volleyball is something that always allowed me to do that. And it helps that I have the most supportive parents who will fly anywhere to watch <laughs> me play. So I wasn't necessarily worried about a huge homesickness. I just wanted to go to a school that was the best academically and athletically for me. And my mom is a uh, head tennis coach. So I grew up having a really strong female in my household and seeing her make a difference in her players' lives and how well she connected with them after they graduated. And I kind of saw a lot of those characteristics in Mary as well. And that's like the type of person I really wanted to play for. So on my visit to Florida, I just absolutely fell in love. And I kind of, on the car ride home, my mom was tearing up. I was like a freshman, um, finishing my freshman year of high school. On the car ride home, my mom was tearing up. And I was like, Mom, are you okay? Oh, my God. She's like, it is just too perfect. I know you're going to go to Florida now. (laughs) She's like, I know you're going to be gone. Um, I was like, Mom, you get to vacation in Florida. Please relax. You know, like, (laughs) you owe me now. But um, just the second I walked on campus, I could see myself really getting involved there. And I'm someone who definitely likes to have interest outside of volleyball. So it's important for me to see myself in the community as well. And I think Gainesville is such a cool place with such a diverse group of people and especially being such a college town being an athlete here is really cool and you get to kind of represent the community as well and that was an awesome thing for me over the last four years to be able to do so i guess you've got a big decision to make now do you go back to being a northerner or are you going to be a a a florida girl in the future (laughs) well i'm right now i'm home in michigan And I think my answer is, I cannot do this weather. (laughs) This It is cold. There's snow on the ground. But I don't necessarily know that I will stay in Florida. I am someone who has a passion for traveling and for seeing different places. I love to hike. I could always see myself near mountains um, on the West Coast. But uh, I will definitely be a gator for life. So I will always have a very special piece of Florida with me in my heart. And... Um, I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I can say that I don't think it will be a place that gets snow more than a few months a year. <laughs> That's, that sounds fair, especially after four years in Florida. That'd be hard to adjust to. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. 
So you, has thinned. <laughs> you talked about traveling. I know it's something that you're, you're very passionate about. Can you tell us about some of your favorite places you've been and more importantly, the places that you most want to go? So every year, my mom, sister, grandmother, and I take a trip somewhere. And those have been some of my favorite memories. I've um, very much loved going to Oregon. I think that I'm a big fan of nature. And there's a lot of natural beauty there as well as Portland is like so many hipsters. I feel so at home there. <laughs> I feel like I am just with my people. Um, <laughs> so that was a very cool place that I got to go with my mom, sister, and grandmother. We, My family also went to the Appalachian Trail and did some hiking. We're pretty big hikers. So mm-hmm. that was a really fun trip. A few years ago, I went to Europe with Ramat, one of my teammates. You guys might have heard of her. She's yeah. a pretty good volleyball player. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, CK was there as well mm-hmm. before she transferred to Florida. And that was kind of amazing because that was my first time being in Europe. And I kind of fell in love with the culture, the coffee for one as well, <laughs> and the history and beauty of that place. So I got to go to Jiva, one of my very best friends still in Gainesville, her home country of Sylvania. And it was so I got to meet her mother and we went to a few landmarks there. And it's a really tiny country, but it's super beautiful. And it was really cool to see where she grew up and to meet some of her family that I'd never met in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was a really amazing trip for me as well. And then some places I want to go. Oh, wow. Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I am an international studies of Africa major. So I have a huge passion for the culture of Africa. And I am very excited that I'll be going to Tanzania in the future. And Mm. I would like to hike Kilimanjaro while I'm there, but I kind of want to go down the list of countries in Africa because they're all so different and there's so many different languages and cultures there that I think would be awesome to learn a little bit more about. So I could go from Kenya to Tanzania to Zambia Hmm. to, I just have this like trip planned out and it's going to take a while. And my mom is like listening to me talk about this. She's like, oh my God, you are never coming home. If you leave, (laughs) you're never coming home. You're going to be gone forever. Because I just am really excited to uh, immerse myself and spend sure. some quality time in the places I go. That's one. I think that's one of my favorite things is when I do go somewhere, it's not necessarily my favorite thing to stay in a hotel and eat at the most popular restaurants or go to TripAdvisor and do all the touristy things. I really like kind of immersing myself and spending a little bit longer there, almost seeing like how I fit in mm-hmm. and what's going on. So I think that's one of the things that's kind of cool. So where specifically did the passion for Africa come from? It wasn't necessarily a passion for Africa, but a passion for places that I didn't necessarily know much about. So when I was doing international studies, I was very torn between Africa and the Middle East because I felt like I didn't necessarily learn all I had wanted to learn about those places. And I wasn't the most educated on the religions and languages there. And I feel like I kind of mostly learned about those places from a standpoint of how the Western world had an influence in them. Mm -hmm. And I was interested about learning cultures different than mine through the lens of those cultures and not necessarily through how we have impacted them. So I think I kind of grew my passion for Africa when I took a class by one of my favorite professors, Renata Serra, about poverty and development in Africa. And I had originally thought the class was going to completely be about like what humanitarian aid should be delivered there and 
um, what we can do to help. But it was mostly a class about like where Africa was, where it's going, uh, the progress made of certain countries, and kind of what those countries are doing for themselves. And I think that the way that I learned about places different than me growing up was so different than the experience she gave me that it was like I was a sponge. Like I was so excited to get more information and so excited to kind of learn about how we can understand places much better if we stop trying to fix them or stop trying to always have an answer and just kind of love the world and love the world's people for the way that they are in a lot of ways. Um, so I've been very interested in that and playing with things that I want to do for the rest of my life involving that. But it's I'm still learning, and I think that's kind of amazing. I'm sure this is a, a very difficult question to answer at this moment, and there's probably a lot of different ways it could go. But just in general, do you know what's next for you? Now that volleyball is done, or at least at the college level, is it just traveling? Is it leading to a certain career? What, do you know yet what you want to do, or is that sort of a, a work in progress? For me, I think it'll always be a work in progress. I'm someone who is very swayed by my passions and kind of goes where the wind blows me. But right now, I am still loving volleyball, and I think I'm going to continue to play. But after that, I definitely see myself splitting time between Africa and the United States. And I would like to either start or be a part of a program that empowers women I think from the top down, because it to me is very amazing to promote education and to promote uh, gender equality, but that usually starts with the youth and to change the way a society looks at things. I think you might have to start with older women who might not be able to go back to school because they have families and they have responsibilities and it's something I think could be great to maybe do microfinancing or give small loans to women and it empowers them and like 98% of the time the loans are paid back. So um, whether it be a small farm plot in their backyard or the supplies to start making soap or um, some other product, I think that that could be a great way to empower older women and therefore um, empower the youth if it hopefully spreads. So that's something I could definitely see myself doing. That was extremely specific. I could see myself <laughs> being happy and a lot of other things, but um, that was what I was reading about the other day. So that's what I'm going to say right now. <laughs> so that's the next step for you. And obviously what you've just left behind is an unbelievable legacy of volleyball at Florida. Can you just talk about what it means knowing that, that your class helped get Florida back to the Final Four for the first time in 15 years and just the number of people that you guys were able to affect? Yeah, it means so much to us. And especially our class is so amazing. And we are, you know, five very different people who are passionate about different things. But one of those things that we had in common was that we care so deeply about this program, about Gator Nation, about Mary Wise, and about getting us to where we deserve to be. It's so, it's a lot of hard work. And if you think about my sophomore year, we were two points away from the final four. And mm -hmm. my freshman year, we were in the Elite Eight as well. And then my junior year, we had a second round loss. And that was kind of the wake-up call and for us to transform that team, that same team, we, we had the addition of two people, but essentially a very similar group in a year from a second-round loss team to all the way to the finals matches. A huge credit to our senior class, but 
you want to be anything without the buy-in of everybody in our program. And we buy into what Mary says, and that's huge. But I think it's about buying into what everybody in your program says. It's about the way you treat your managers who fold your jerseys. It's about the, you know, showing up to class and getting your work done and, you know, going into the weight room on a daily basis and working really hard. So I think that um, it is about buying into what Mary says and it is about buying into what your senior class says, but you wouldn't be able to do anything if you didn't buy into what everyone else around you was doing. And I think that's what our group did such a great job of. And the cultural change we left behind is going to get so many teams to the final four that that'll be a win for everyone who came before us, I think. Carly, final thing for you. A lot of people are going to be traveling now over the holidays. They probably need mm-hmm. some good books to read. And I'm told that you are quite the avid reader. So while this is not Oprah's book club, uh, for Carly's book club here, what recommendations can you give people for some good reads? Oh, wow. Um, I can give many recommendations. I hmm, I lately read Gone with the Wind, and I really like that. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some great historical fiction, uh, this book Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, is amazing. She is truly a fantastic writer. Uh, All the Light We Cannot See, if you like uh, World War II, that's a fantastic uh, historical fiction book as well. And then a classic mystery, something for everyone. I have to go with the series of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That's still one of my favorite series I've ever read. Um, And I've reread it a few times now, and I think it almost gets better every time I've read it. Well, we will uh, we'll put those official recommendations on the record. And on behalf of Gator Nation, we will thank you for all that you've done for Florida Volleyball and for the University of Florida. And it clearly you have no shortage of passions going forward. So we wish you a lot of luck in whatever you do choose to do. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. This is our final episode of 2017, but you can bet that we'll be back in better than ever in 2018. So come back on January 4th for our next episode, as we'll be diving headfirst into SEC basketball. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you a safe and happy holidays and a happy new year.